Hello, Les Raymond here with the Mindful Movement. Whether you are about to enjoy one of Sarah's beautiful meditations or dive into a podcast interview, I would like to remind our community that the best way to support the Mindful Movement is to support the companies that make this happen. Sarah and I are very picky about the companies we choose to work with, and we are grateful to have the relationships we have and to share them with our listeners. You can learn more about our affiliates through our website by clicking on the Favorites tab. We are excited to have recently added Sunlighten as an affiliate. They make state-of-the-art infrared saunas, and their founder, Connie, came on for a recent interview if you would like to listen. Our Sunlighten sauna has been a family favorite for over a decade. Some of our most popular affiliates are the grounding mats from Ultimate Longevity, which we sleep on every night, and the Apollo Neuro, which Sarah is now wearing daily to help manage stress. When you support these brands, you in turn are supporting the mindful movement and helping Sarah and I continue to devote our time to this passion. Whether you check out these companies or not, I just want to say thanks again and reiterate how grateful Sarah and I both are for all of the support over the years. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to the Mindful Movement Podcast. Thanks for joining me. I'm Les Raymond. So today I have an interview with Troy Grant, someone I met recently who really inspired me with his work with a company he started called Beyond Rhetoric. And I was lucky enough to get him into my house, to the home studio, to do an in-person podcast interview. And I think there's just a lot to not just be inspired from, but to learn from Troy's message and how it came about, or how the work with Beyond Rhetoric came about. And it made me think a lot about the importance of the idea around service as it pertains to our own mental health. I think we've all at some point experienced like an uplifting inside, a, a, a growth from within that's very positive in nature from giving something away, whether it's just a gift, a compliment, some kind words, or if you're really uh, devoting. I know at my work, my day job, which is in a gym environment, in the past I've worked with uh, like special needs children through exercise, through the field that I understand to help improve their lives. And everyone else around seems to think like I'm doing it for these kids, which I am. But <laughs> what's really happening is I'm nourishing myself in that act. So on some level, we all have this responsibility to discover our gifts and then give them away to the world in whatever capacity we can. And it's not just about helping others. So I think part of really growing into your best self, somewhere along that path, you'll have to give something away. You'll have to find something that you can give, even if it's something you're not really aware that you're doing. I think it's possible that people could go through that and not really recognize that they are offering, making an offering to someone else, to a person, to a community, to the environment, to the world, whatever. I think it's a fascinating topic. Now I have to apologize. I've been playing around with some camera, camera work. Technology is not the thing I'm best at. 
So please bear with me. I tried to use two cameras for this interview. I did not do a great job lining them up. The lighting is off. One camera's quality didn't match the other. Uh, so sorry about that. The audio should be fine. I think the message will still come clear, but I ask for your patience uh, as I work that out. I think going forward, I'm not the in-person podcasts are still fairly new to me because I started these kind of in the beginning of pandemic and everything was going to Zoom. And now here and there, I'm having some opportunities to do them face to face. And I'm realizing that the technology around that, uh, you know, is a little bit more nuanced and challenging than just hopping on a Zoom call and hitting record. So again, uh, I apologize if you're, if you're watching the video, I think you'll get the message, but you know, the scene might look a little strange. The eyes aren't looking at the camera and the quality might be shifting and the light might be shifting, but I promise you, I'm gonna work on it and see if I could dial that in. I don't think it's that complicated. I'm just not experienced or practiced at it. So I look forward to practicing and getting better at it. Anyway, I hope you guys enjoy this episode and thanks again for your listening. Welcome to the Mindful Movement Podcast. Thanks for joining us for another episode. I have Troy Spencer Grant yes, here. Full name. All right. That's what it said on your card. Yeah, so that's yeah, exactly. what uh, Troy, thanks for joining thanks me. Thanks for having me, man. So this is a little bit different conversation than we usually have on here. Okay. But uh, we met recently. I'll give you a chance to tell the audience a little bit about yourself. But we met at a farmer's market not long ago. I was with my son on Saturdays. We usually check out the local farmer's markets. Mm -hmm. And there was a stand there. And... Um, Tell you what grabbed me, like I walked, I saw a chess table. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, um, yeah. It was like not used to seeing a chess table at a farmer's market. And you came out and you just greeted me. You put your hand out, shake. Yeah. Which was like that speaks to me in okay. this day and age. Right. Okay. A human yeah. was willing to right. do that. <laughs> yeah. And um, and you said you were working for a cause, and it sound it perked my interest right away. It wow. just like wow. I was like that sounds amazing which we'll hear more about. And then you asked to buy something to, for the yeah, cause. And yeah. I said, let's do one better. Let's come on. Yeah, it's yeah. rare that we do in-person yeah, podcasts yeah, here. Yeah. So um, since you're local, I thought that was an opportunity to bring you in, yeah. talk about what you do yeah. and maybe help, help out your cause and maybe yeah. your audience mm -hmm. through, um, maybe you can inspire them to maybe help out okay. and learn more about what you're doing, the importance of it. And I think it speaks to really a missing component of wellness in general. And mm -hmm. with the mindful movement, what we do here, or we at least focus on is like providing, uh, uh, facilitating folks to be more empowered to play a bigger role in their sense of well-being. Right. And there's some aspects around that on the mental side that relate to like service and contribution. Right and giving to the community that I don't think are really spoken to, spoken about in regards to health. Right. And I think right. they're critical. Yeah, big time. So thanks. Um, yeah, my pleasure. So Troy, I love the name uh, the, of the company. Okay. But I forgot it. <laughs> Beyond Rhetoric. Beyond Rhetoric. So <laughs> I want to hear how you came up with that and yeah. tell the audience kind of what that means, what the company right. does, what you know, and right. how you got to where you are now working with them. Okay, well, you probably have to interrupt me. 
That's fine. Because, uh, yeah, yeah, different spots. So, uh, coming up with the name. So, I think the name kind of is embedded in what I really believe as just as a person. And which is, let's be more about action. Let's be more about what we do than what we say. So, if what we say overbalances the actual practical, you know, living then to me there's something wrong with that. And I think that many of us um, supplement doing, supplement um, experience with talking about the thing, talking about the problem, talking about what's wrong with the earth, what's wrong with the United States. You know, I think of Greta Thunberg, right? Mm. You know, she stopped talking and sat down wrote out a little something and said, hey, climate change is an issue, let's address it. And she moved beyond talking. Oh, it's such a problem. Many high schoolers her age, many teenagers, will talk about it and, and, and opine. And, and so Beyond Rhetoric is really about the concept is in the name, right? It's just let's, let's move beyond the talk and let's, let's do something. And so that to me... Um, was what I wanted to clearly, uh, what message I wanted to clearly send um, with the company. It's a cool name. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. What and were you doing? It can doing? be a little confusing to some people. They're like, and some people don't know how to spell it. <laughs> you know, so. I'd probably be one of those people. <laughs> so, uh, what were you doing prior to that? Or are you still your teacher? Yes. So, I'm a full time teacher. Um, I've been teaching for about was 19 years now. And um, so, yeah, but this started because of COVID, right? I would say because of COVID. I will say that, you know, this answers, hopefully this answers one of the questions you asked earlier, which is like, how did it come about, right? So, so I was divorced in, in 2019. And what I noticed myself doing, talking about mindfulness, right? I noticed myself doing all types of things that were not me. Like, what do you mean? So I automatically started dating, right? Let's jump in the dating scene, right? Let's, oh, I'm binge watching television, right? So all my friends are recommending, oh, you should watch this series. You should, watch, oh, Game of Thrones is on, right? I got back into Curb Your Enthusiasm, right? Slippery I've been, slope. Oh my goodness. And so... And then, of course, with that, it's, uh, you know, you're, you're eating, right, and et cetera. I say you're, I shouldn't say you're, I was eating, right? So, so I'm eating, I'm binge-watching, I'm doing this. And then I started, here's the question that I asked myself in meditation, right, after the divorce. Very important. Who are you and what do you want? Because when I was coming down the elevator after I signed the divorce papers, my lawyer looked at me and she said, you know, Troy, it takes about three years for you to get back to your regular self, right? And I didn't understand what she meant. Hmm. But I wanted to approach that with a way of self-exploration, right? Who are you and what do you want? Um, and so do I really like Indian food or is that just what me and my wife ate, right, together? And is that just a part of that relationship, right? Um, who am I, Right. And so I started reading a book, right, that had been on my table for a long time. Which one? 
Um, it's called Just Mercy. Okay. A guy named Brian Stevenson. Okay. And a movie came out about it in December 2019. Is it the same name? Same Just name. Okay. Uh, Jamie Foxx is the star. Oh, and Michael awesome. B. Jordan plays Brian Stevenson. So Brian Stevenson is a real individual who was in law school at Harvard, who during his law school career felt lost, didn't feel connected to law school, didn't actually feel like a sense of purpose until he did an internship in Alabama for folks getting off of death row or who were in death row, on death row, and who were innocent. Oh, wow. So the goal was to get help them provide legal assistance to see if we can get these folks off of uh, death row. And after reading the book, the movie similarly or singularly focuses on really just this one person, right? The Jamie Foxx character. The book covers the whole gambit. And I was blown away by the book. And what it helped me do was answer the question, who are you? I'm not this guy that wastes all this time and feels comfortable um, just, you know, recreating going, at, at the going level, through the going through the motions of, hey, this is me. I'm going to enjoy YOLO, right? You only live once, so you need to enjoy yourself. You need to blah, blah, blah. And I get that. But there is a part of me, has always been a part of me since I was a child. Um, and part of my spiritual journey, uh, less um, what I'm realizing over the last couple of years is taps into that child. You know, everything that I, you know, am coming into contact with that speaks to me keeps getting back to the child. Who were you when you, that organic self, that innocent, organic, explorative self, who is that person? And so ever since I was young, I had a sense of right justice and what's fair and what's not fair. And it would get me in trouble, right? So that's why that book really <clears throat> spoke to you. Oh, my mind you spoke have, to me. So yeah, innocent people. That's just so right. heartbreaking just to think right. of that concept, mm -hmm. innocent people right. on death row. And what it did is it showed me that there are, let me tell you, it took a Harvard-trained lawyer and more to be able to fight the system that put them in there. The system that we accept, the system that we kind of live with, right? And that many of us don't know is operating at the level in which it's operating and how intricate the system is and how inveterate the system is and how once a state makes a decision, state meaning the government of any sort, once the state makes a decision less, they have to stick by it, right? It's in their self-interest to, so even when they're wrong, right? They will still, right, stick by their decision is what happened in the case of, I believe the guy's name was Walter McMillan. Gotcha. And so it took fighting and fighting and I'm a fighter, right? I've been fighting all my life. And so I said, you know what? I need to do something different. And I called up the Department of Juvenile Services in the state of Maryland. And I said, hey, I got to go and spend time with youth. And they were like, okay, sure, just fill out the form. Not a call they get every day. Not a call <laughs> they get every day. Um, and so here's how the, the Beyond Rhetoric piece fit in. Um, and here's the beauty of it. 
So I could have done it by myself, right? I could have just simply served, right? Which is what I intended to do in 2019, at the end of 2019. But then I was also going to Haven on the Lake, and there was a guy there. That so I, for the listeners, yeah. uh, that's a, a local facility that's like a, a wellness facility that has exercise classes, and you can yeah. get massage, and there's like yeah. pools and steam rooms, oh, stuff like that. Oh, amazing. So it's no longer in existence, but it had a steam room, which I always, because I have a lot of you know uh, respiratory issues, so steam room, they have a salt room. So they had the a full cold plunge. Oh my goodness, Les, this place is incredible. Yeah, I've been right, there. Right, exactly. That cold plunge. Yes, yes. It's uh, a little intimidating. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> I only did it once or twice. Um, and then they have the Whirlpool of case, of right. course, the jacuzzi. But what's, what's more beautiful is they have these, um, what do you call them? Like lawn chairs that sit out and face the, the lake. It's a man-made lake. But they, it faces the lake and it faces, you know, nature. And so every morning or in the mornings when I didn't have my sons, I would go there, do my steam, you know, and pull out a book and read. And there was a gentleman there uh, by the name of Kalis and Kalis Hall. And we would just talk to each other. Hey, man, how you doing? Da, da, da. Oh, the steam is working well today, blah, blah, blah. What we found out was that he and I served at the same military base. Oh, no way. Yes, in Missouri. Okay. The base is called Whiteman Air Force Base in Knob Noster, Missouri. Like, of all places, he and I both served at the same spot. I've never met anybody. At the same time? At, not at the same okay. time. Um, I've never met anybody that was at Whiteman Air Force Base. It's, it's, it's is like that a, a small base? It's or? a small base. Right. I mean, in the population of Knob Noster, the city is was at the time less than 1,000. Knob Noster. Knob Noster, right? And in fact... I think they got their first McDonald's within the last 10 years. I'm not exaggerating. So to meet somebody in Howard County, who, which is the county we live in, um, in, in, a, in a steam room was just crazy. So we started talking. And then I'm reading. He'd see me reading the book. And we started to, oh, the movie's coming out. He was like, oh, me and my wife are going to see the movie. So then I told him what I was doing. Hey, man, I got to volunteer. And, he, and this is what he said. Let me know about that. So I gave him the, I forwarded the information. He texted me and I forwarded him the information. Then like a week or so later, he goes, I, I did the application. I was like, wow, okay. Cool, man. Week after that, or two weeks, he says, hey, I'm going to get my fingerprints. And I'm thinking, who is this guy? What have you got yourself? Right, into? exactly. <laughs> right. So because I thought I was the only, you know, person and I, you know, not literally the only person, but it's like there are other people like him and me that, that actually want to do something. Because most folks you tell about that, yeah, man, I got to do more with the youth, man. Right? Yeah, it's easy. Or, yeah, man, that's messed up, man, what's going on down in Alabama. But the fact that he wanted to act was a signal to me. Like it spoke to my, my rhythm, to my vibration, right? This guy's like, I need, I need to know this guy a little bit more. So then COVID hit and um, I had extra time on my hands because I didn't have to commute to work. So I'm sitting around and I'm like, well, what, what can I do? And then it, you need to start a nonprofit. You need to start a collective. This isn't, it's not enough what you're just doing it by yourself. Khalees and others, you need to get other people to do this kind of thing as well. 
Was that a challenging process to start a nonprofit? I've always wondered about that. Yeah, it actually, like, it, no, it wasn't. Is it a bureaucratic thing? No? Bureaucratic? No, it's actually not. Oh. In fact, I thought it would be difficult, but true to the whole concept of beyond rhetoric, I was just like, let's just do it. And so I filled out a little paperwork. I called Khalees. I said, hey, I'm doing this thing. I want you to be the vice president. And even though I didn't know him for a long time, I just... There was just something about him where you could read people's character, right? You can kind of get a sense of human beings. I just knew he was legitimate. And I, I need this guy around me. What was yeah. his, like, day job at the time? He's, was he still in the military? He was in the military, full time. Full time, okay. And in fact, he just retired a couple weeks ago. He retired in August. Um, and now he works for Amazon Web Services. So, um, so yeah, so that was, that was what he did. And so I also called another friend of mine, or actually a former student I called first, Nancy Canales, who was a teacher, and um, she became a lawyer. And I called her and I said, Nancy, you are one of the smartest students I've ever taught. I need you on this initiative. And she's like, I'm with you. Mm, that's great. I called another former student of mine who actually ended up being our babysitter for quite a long time. Our boys loved her, Montia Medley. And I said, Montia, I'm doing this thing. I need you around me because to hold me accountable. <laughs> okay. That's cool. She was like, I'm there. I'm with you. And then finally, I called my buddy who we worked together at a high school in Prince George's County. Um, and we just would text each other and try to talk about administration and, and career things. Um, Marcellus Clement. And he said, I'm, I'm right there with you. And he's now principal in... Um, Prince George's County. So I wanted people around me who were professionals, but at the same time had the heart. Montia is a social worker. So she deals with this all the time. So, so what yeah. is the thing, the Beyond Reddick, what, what does the organization actually do for folks? Yeah. So what we do is we meet the needs of youth in detention. So we go into detention centers. There are about 12 detention centers in the state of Maryland. We go into the detention centers and we serve the youth. That really is it in its simplicity. So in any capacity, you use whatever tool at your disposal to, to like address whatever the need of an individual kid is? Or is it more in like a, a group setting? Good question. So I would say it's more of a group setting. And it's not... On the, um, I would say, psychological end, right? And it's not social work. It's here's what it is. We ask people at Beyond Rhetoric, "What's your passion? What do you What do you get geeked out about?" And a person will say, "I get geeked out about this." And then the follow up question is, "What about doing that for one hour a week with kids in detention?" So, for me, that question that to answer the question was chess. When I first called up DJS, they were like, great, fill out the application. What do you want to do? I said, I think I want to read some books with the kids. Crickets, man. Unless <laughs> they were like, dude, they don't want they don't want you to be reading books with them. And I was like, All right, what age group are we talking about? Here? Between seven and seventeen. Seven? Yes, as young as, as seven. Young as seven. There's seven year olds in detention? Not right now, absolutely. But historically, yes. Okay, seven absolutely. to seventeen. What what do you think? Is the bulk of them? Closer to 17? Maybe more like 15, 16, the ones that I've interacted with. That's, a, but that's also an age. Mid, also so middle schoolers. 
interacting with middle schoolers. Yeah. Yes. And they're all coming. I would or the majority. I, I would say are coming from households that have some kind of dysregulated environment. No, absolutely. Need. Absolutely. Um, and so that's pretty much the demographic, right? Um, challenged youth, uh, but potential youth. What's interesting is that in the state of Maryland, about two thirds of the youth in detention are there for nonviolent offenses. Oh, that's a shame. Right. So they're low level. Shoplifting. It's a, yeah, it's stuff like that. Or, or some of them are for status offenses. What does that mean? So a status offense is an offense that you and I couldn't get arrested for and put in prison, but yet a youth can because of their status of being a youth. So if you get upset at your wife or whatever, you want to take a walk in the woods less, you can take a walk in the woods. If a kid decides I want to run away from my parents because they're getting on my nerves, they can get in trouble for that, right? That's a status offense, mm-hmm. right? And so um, curfew violations, Ooh. that's a status offense, right? Um, so that's like truancy. kid jail. This kid is jail. jail for kids. Absolutely. For staying out too late. Absolutely. Um, truancy, right? I've taken many days off of work, okay? I've used, <laughs> I've used sick leave. I've used professional leave. I've used, look, I will figure it out. Why? Because you for mental health, or I, I, could, I could say, I say sometimes I tell my boss, hey, I need a mental health day. And I can just sense when, you know, when the, when the students are a little bit much for me at a certain time, or it's around that time, right before spring break, <laughs> right? Um, or there's a particular student that you haven't quite figured out how to, and you know that there's some triggers there, um, I take I take a day off. I'll go literally to Haven on the Lake when, you know, before it closed. I will go to the steam room. I will go. So I can do that. But what if you're a youth? So for you, it's medicine. Yeah, if it's a kid medicine. does it, you can yeah. go to jail. Oh, you can go to absolutely. That's if they crazy. skit, they go to absolutely. So you can get in trouble. And so status offenses, a lot of them, or many of them are in there for, for those things. And then there are kids the smaller minority, who do some pretty bad things. Um, so um, when we were asked, uh, you know, who, where do you want to, who do you want to, you know, take care of? And I said, where's your biggest need? She said, really, Garrett County. For those not from Maryland, Garrett County is the furthest county west in the state of Maryland. And from here, from Howard, from my home, it's probably about two and a half hours. Yeah, it's a trek. Yeah, it's a trek. Um... And she said, that's the real biggest need, because here's the reason why. Students that go there to the, to the facilities in Garrett County, those are the ones that did some pretty bad things, and they have to go away for months. Oh, so it's a nature of what that facility specializes in, not where the kids live. Right, absolutely. Okay. And so, whether it's a detention center or a treatment facility. Treatment facilities, you're there for months. Um, I've interacted with kids for months. Um, and then sometimes you're with kids for weeks. And they say, hey, thanks for playing, you know, playing. Um, this is my last day. And, you know, it's bittersweet because, one, I want to influence you a little bit more, right, and give you some more encouragement. And we'll talk about how we might be able to do that later. But on the other sense, you're going home, which is great. The question is, what kind of environment are you going back yeah, to? Yeah, what are you going back to? Right. So, so when a kid goes to a, a place like that and... Now, I could only imagine like some of the traumas that kids deal with that lead to behaviors that get them in a place like that. Like, is there 
Is there any part of the process that educates the household and helps reintegrate when kids do go back? Mm, that's a great question. From what I know, the answer is no. <clears throat> and practically speaking, the answer is no. Now, they have caseworkers who help them transition back, but it's very clinical. Mm. And the caseworker will, you know, help the child. You know, are you going to school? Are you doing this? Are you doing that? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but in terms of a holistic approach, no. Which is which is very challenging. So do a lot of them wind up making kind of rounds coming back and? Yes, they do. Uh, there's a book I recommend uh, for anybody interested in kind of like the the culture. There's a book called Man Child in the Promised Land, um, bestseller, uh, written by a guy, a guy named Claude Brown, who actually was that guy in and out of juvenile detention centers, and actually became a journalist and. Um, very famous, award-winning journalist. And um, he wrote this book, Man, Child, and the Promised Land. And the, what struck me when I read the book was that he wanted to go back to detention because that is where he felt the most at home. Mm. He didn't feel at home at home. He didn't, home wasn't a hearth for him. Being around his friends where he had skills, he had abilities that were similar, where he can have a sense of security, a sense of pride for the things that he can do, right? How well you can steal, right? Mm. How well you can knock somebody out in the street. Those kind of things are celebrated in those environments, right? So going back home was not as, you know, we think of it as homecoming. Right. They look at it, they're kind of like lost, right? When you start talking about, when you get deep into the prison industrial complex and you start thinking about people that are institutionalized, that feel discomfort when they're outside. It's like you lose your identity when you're not <clears throat> you lose your identity. in there. And the majority of people in prison have this in common, right? And I say prison, not detention, right? So there's a distinction. Majority of people in prison, um, the distinction is they don't have a high school diploma. Okay, that's a, that's a very, you know, it's kind of, you know, common knowledge in criminology, right? So where do you feel more, more at home? With your boys in lockup, talking about the things you, you, you did or, or may do, or sitting in a classroom, listening to some sage on a stage, right. lecture about something that is so remote from your experience. You don't even have a reference. You have a right? reference. Frame of reference. And here's the deal, and this is in their defense, not, it's not even the kids that are, you know, in detention. It's not even the kids that come from challenged neighborhoods, who come from low socioeconomic status, right, environments. Less, it's also the average kid. A lot of our curricula does not speak to their experience and what is important to them. You mean like in the public school system? In the public yeah. school system. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of square peg, round mm -hmm. hole kind mm -hmm. of thing with kids. and mm -hmm. Especially now, kids are so smart. Like, um, how old are you? 51. 51. And um, I'm 44. And like, the amount of information that we had mm -hmm. when we were growing up is so different. Like, mm -hmm. kids are older now mm -hmm. because they just... 
they have so much coming at them. Absolutely. That there's more ways because of all the different ways you could get information. Right. There's like more potential like options of what way resonates with you. Like right. exactly. what is going to fit your strength more. Mm-hmm. And the school system seems a little handcuffed. Yeah. Like they don't really have the tool set for a lot of the kids to capitalize on like how that kid learns best. Right. right. Which is really unfortunate. It is. It is. And, you know, <clears throat> we learn these things in um, our teacher education programs. You know, I went to Johns Hopkins uh, to learn how to be a teacher. And we learn these things. We learn about Howard Gardner's, right, multiple intelligences, right, where uh, someone, you know, this kid's a kinesthetic learner. This other kid's a visual learner. What's it's, a kinesthetic learner? It's like you've got to feel. Okay. You've got to be moving around. Gotcha. So instead of me saying, okay, let's read about the Constitutional Convention, I would say, let's act out the Constitutional oh, Convention. Cool. Right? And so this dude is in, more engaged. right? The visual learner, if I'm sitting there giving a lecture, the visual learner is like, yo, I'm checked out. And so, but if I show some slides and or we do a Prezi while doing it, then this visual learner is more connected because they see it. And you would love. Is like, that teacher slang? Prezi is a presentation. Is is it, no? Or it's Prezi actually Prezi. Prezi. Prezi is actually it's not teacher slang. It's actually a. Um, it's been a, a long program. time since I was in school. It's a program. Okay. It's PowerPoint Plus. Okay. Right. It's PowerPoint, <laughs> but it moves around and it's really cool, and you can zoom in and zoom out. It's called Prezi. So, so it captures their eyes. It captures their eyes. It is. It's, it's a. It's a great. It's. It's better than than PowerPoint. I just say that. Um, so, but thanks for catching me on that. I'll make sure uh, if there's any teacher slang, I'll make sure I explain it. You know, I haven't been to school yeah, in a long exactly, time, man. Exactly. So, so there are different types. You'll love the naturalistic. That's one of Howard Gardner's list of multiple intelligences, right? Naturalistic learner. So, um, this person would be, you know, let's go outside and do this activity as opposed to let's sit inside, in the, right? Okay. Let's, let's walk around the, the, the track of the school, right? And I'm going to teach you something about instead of, you know, um, what's the distance between that cicada and that cicada right there? That kid is going to probably do better on that assignment because he's a naturalistic learner than he would if I just said, what's the difference between A and B, right? Gotcha. Because he's now he gets to see the cicada. So it, 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 it awakens something. Absolutely. So, so we learn these things in teacher education school. Um but how well they transfer into practice. And in addition to that, Les, what I'm talking about is even on the curricula level, right? When you get to, for instance, something I share a lot, I'll never forget the look on a kid's face because I taught government for many years. Look on a kid's face when we were in the section of teaching about the Articles of Confederation, right? mandated the state of Maryland. So the Articles of Federation, for those that don't know, was the our government's constitution prior to our constitution. For those years, those 12 years that we, you know, before we actually in 1787 had a constitution, 1776, what do we decide to do? Let's have a confederate form of government. We tried that. And we had the Articles of Confederation prior to the constitution that we all know now 
um, and that we, you know, supposedly live by. Supposedly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> little sarcasm in there. Um, but Careful what you say exactly, here. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, so here's the deal. Nobody cares about the Articles of Confederation less. Certainly not a 15 or 16-year-old. Right. Now, if you're really geeked out, and you want to know, and you're really scratching your head, well, what happened before the Constitution? Then I can give you some more information about that. But the majority of the kids I've taught don't give a single doggone about it. So the question is, I'm looking at my students and watching the gates. This is required for them to know in the state of Maryland. The question I have is why, right? Adults wrote that, right? Predominantly middle-class adults. Well, with right. good intention, good it's intention. like we teach them history. I know, exactly. It's important to know history. But as a practitioner, when I'm looking at my students and my clients, right, and I'm thinking my patients, right, in many ways, right, if I'm thinking like a doctor, why, why do they need, they don't need this right now? And especially if they're on the verge, right, and if they're on the verge of really disconnecting from this thing called public education, why do I have to give them that, right? Why don't I give them something that's a little bit more catered to their reality? And so this way is for me very disappointing how our education system doesn't quite tap in to the present reality of students, especially if you are come from a, a you know lower socioeconomic status. When you think about, I don't know, you know, in psychology, in social work, they, they talk about, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, mm -hmm. right? Um, college is not one of the first two, three, four, five on the scale. Right. It's the physiological needs. And if you're struggling at home, you're thinking about how can I take care of that, right? So if we're really being compassionate, if we're really being about the child, right, we would understand these things. And so... Getting back to beyond rhetoric. So, so there's two vehicles, mm -hmm. really, the home life and kind of the, the lack of effectiveness in keeping kids engaged or inspiring kids to build a relationship with learning right. at the school level. They have like two forces that could lead someone to wind up in a detention center. Right, absolutely. And, and, let, me, and let me also, let me, let me give a different track too. The third track also probably the third rail, because people don't want to talk about it, is because, and I'll tell you why folks don't want to talk about it, it's a very touchy subject, is um, what happened to all the education programs that taught, right, trades. Yeah, they're... And so, right, exactly. They're like... Absolutely. Going. I remember making a joke to my son one day, like, you know... If you want to be a plumber, about 10 years from now, you can charge whatever you want because exactly. there won't be any. Absolutely. <laughs> wow. That's, wow. You may think about that, right? Yeah. It's like, and that, that kind of ticks me off when I hear about, um, you know, this push for college, like college mm -hmm. is just mm -hmm. inherently better. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what does that say to a kid that wants to do those things? Or right. the idea of like, we've... You know, in the political arena, there's been a big push here and there over the years of um, like government taxpayers paying for college mm -hmm. yeah. and making it free. And I just think like, what does that say to someone 
one who just got finished paying for college yeah. the hard yeah. way and like yeah. took on the loans and did it. Right. But like for the person that gets nothing because they want to be an electrician. Right. Right. And it's like, man, why are we valuing this? Like, right, right. this is a top-down that we value right. this institution exactly. over like humanity on a more broad level. Right. And it's right. like, it's kind of uh, encourages like a not a class system, but like this is better. Like these people are better than these mm-hmm. people. Yeah, it does. And here's let me let me push it even more. And it, you know, you know, many would say probably I shouldn't be saying this because. I'm a teacher, right? So I'm an educator. Okay. You can say whatever. But 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 college is not the best investment for some. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And two, I think one of the things that to me is a disconnect, and this is the reason why Beyond Rhetoric to me is an important organization because <clears throat> we want to move beyond the talk and just be there, right? Be there. Brian Stevenson says... In, in his book and, and in lectures, that in order to really make a difference, you have to be proximate to the suffering. Okay. It's, it's, it, that's the most effective way to make a difference, being proximate. Because there is nothing that changes you more than seeing, smelling, hearing, feeling, sensing what's going on with those that are, that are suffering, right? So... Plus, those kids need to really feel seen. Oh, yeah. 100%. So, like, you need to be there Absolutely. for them to yes. feel that. Absolutely. And that transforms them and you at the same time, right? And so, but so here's the deal, you know, getting back to this whole college piece. To me, that's real. I can feel that, sense that. When we haven't even started talking about the programs yet, but I'll talk about that uh, uh, before I leave. Um... But when you're there, engaged with the youth, right? You can't. There's no rhetoric that can take take you know that can compensate for that. You're there. You're present. You're looking at eye. You're making eye contact. You're you're sensing body language. You're sensing body movement, right? You can tell when you're losing your audience. You can tell when they're stimulated. You can tell when they're impressed by a move that they didn't see, right? When you're playing a game like chess, mm-hmm. right? So, um, so here's going back to the, to, the, to the college piece. In this country, we're having, and specifically in regards to college and education, we are not having a genuine conversation when less than 40% of American adults hold a college degree, a four-year degree. And I don't think it's ever gone above that. Last I checked, it was 37%. Typically, it's about a third. In most developed countries, it's about a third. So, if a third of your adult population hold a college degree, why are you 100% of the time talking about college? Mm. Like you're saying, it devalues those that are not seeking college as something to do. Listen, I know plenty of people that make more money than me, (laughs) okay? And who spent, you know, a fraction of the time in school and education, who never went to college, but yet they make more money than me. And here's the other deal. They're fulfilled in the thing that they do. They love what they do. Because they weren't forced to find, like, pick from the list of things in college. Oh, 100%. Yeah. It's interesting, too. Like, I forget where I heard this, but I think a long time ago, college might have been 
more importance in some ways because like if you wanted to learn assuming you wanted to learn mm -hmm. you, you kind of had to go where the books were yeah. the colleges yeah. had the books like mm -hmm. books were at the library or the college or schools but now because of the flow of information the internet if you want to learn mm -hmm. shit, i mean you can learn about pretty much anything yeah. for almost nothing yeah. from the internet i mean you can you take college courses actually for uh -huh. free uh -huh. online for nothing or close to it mm -hmm. so you know if the goal is to educate yourself it's not really the same institution it used to be though it has a lot of other right. benefits right. i'm not ragging on it um i went to college and i wasn't like ready for it yeah, yeah, yeah. so um it turned out to be kind of a waste of money right wow. i learned some things but i mean it was kind of like Part, you know, it's just yeah, like, oh, yeah. I could party and I have I'm nobody free. watching over right, my shoulder exactly. now. Where are the drugs? Absolutely. Where's yeah. the booze? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> so, um, you know, I wasn't going like, I need to learn these things. Right, or, right, right, right. I need to, you know, find a job with this yeah. skill set. Yeah. So there's a lot of things, there's a lot of pressures where society has created like a pressure towards a kid going down a track mm -hmm. that they end up... Yeah in a place that really is not ideal. And right. especially when right. you say like all this non-violent, mm -hmm. what seems to be somewhat like victimless crimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in, in many cases, absolutely. So think about what that does. Yeah. It's, well, I know you have thought about this, I'm sure, but like what does that do to a developing mind to think I didn't really do anything wrong right. and now I'm really being punished? Right, right. That's and, hard and to here, imagine. And here's the other thing, too, that in getting back to what you're talking about in terms of, you know, even you say before, you said probably college was important because. But if you really think about it, since time immemorial, apprenticeship has been the best way oh, right. of learning. And where are the apprenticeships these days, right? In every field, you got to spend time. Oh, so that's great. You got a, a, a med degree. We want you to do a residency. We want you to watch someone, spend time, watch this doctor interact with that patient, watch how he or she does with, right? Mechanics, the same deal. And here's my defense against, or defense for, I would say, adolescence in this nebulous area called youth that we don't really know what that is, right? They say the prefrontal cortex wasn't doesn't develop to what like 25. 25. So so what what is youth, right? What 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 does that? And and I I really believe that we don't know what to do with this category of people, right? And here's and here's what I mean in a sense. The other thing, and goes along with the third rail, is I really believe we need to start having more opportunities for work for youth. A lot of people say, whoa, what do, what do you mean? You're, come on, you're a teacher. What? Look, if my family's poor and I got to come and sit and listen to you lecture about Pythagorean's theorem, meanwhile, over here, my man over here is making money, and I know that this money is going to help my family, there have got to be ways of allowing those kids to do good, honest, respectable work. Developmentally, of course. Obviously, we don't want a seven-year-old, you know, leaving right. school to be. But 
at a certain time. But a fifteen-year-old could be working at a pizza 100%. shop and might be better 100%. off than learning math. Absolutely, and you get those math skills. My thirteen-year-old, who um, who's a rising eighth grade, he's in eighth grade now. Howard County, we just started um, last week. He's an eighth grader. I help him. He's come out and helped me with beyond rhetoric. And oh, I, great. I, yeah, I say, hey, Brock, you're in charge of the square, right? And so the square is the, you know, that it takes the credit cards and all this. And so I said, here's a tap, and they can also insert right here. Um, here's where you put the money in and, you know, make sure. And so he has to do math and calculations, right? You should see him. I was telling my ex-wife this the other day. I said, you should see, you should see him. You should see him when he's out there. He's engaged. He's alive. He loves helping, right? And so he's running here. And I was like, and I, I said, I don't, I don't deal with the money. Sorry. Can you, you know, the 13-year-old. Give him that and, he, and, and when he's with helping me, I don't have to work the, the square at all. And so, and then he has to do the math. Well, how much do you give a person if they, right? So if this is what he's doing at his age, Les, I've been working since I was 10 years old. You know, a funny story. My dad, when I was 10, um, I lived with my dad for two years in Providence, Rhode Island. And when I was 10, I remember going to him in the summer and saying, hey, dad, School's about to start. And there's these really cool jeans that I want. And there's a shirt that I saw my friends had. And blah, blah, blah. And he looks, at, he's listening, he's listening. Shakes his head. He goes, hold on a second. And he goes into the room. This is his bedroom. And I'm thinking, okay, he's about to drop a family heirloom on me. Something. I don't know. But I was excited. All right. He brings out a shoe shine box. And he goes, I want to teach you how to shine shoes. Since age 10, Les, I have been working. And that means that for a certain amount of hours, I'd go out there and shine shoes, right? As a little entrepreneur at age 10. Um, and then when I got to working age, I started working. But I grew up pretty much, you know, when I lived with my dad, that was, a, you know, two years. But for the most part, we were on welfare, right? We struggled. Um, I lived in the housing projects, uh, a couple of them in New Haven, Connecticut. And so working for me was freedom, was liberty. Right, felt like a man. I felt like sense of value, sense of worth. I can actually go out and buy the clothes that I was looking at, right, in the store window. And so, I don't understand why that can't be replicated to our young ones. Yeah, now. that's a really good point, man. I couldn't even imagine like what a shit show of a process that would be to like apply and integrate programs for that. And right. I mean, you'd have people just, you can never please kind of all sides. Right. You know, so, you know, I could just see in our county, that would be a really challenging thing right. to convince, even though it would probably do so much good for so many people. It will, but once again, it's a third rail. Here's the reason why a third rail. The implementation of it would be very political. Yeah, exactly. It would be um, biased. It would be uneven. And that's the ugliness of it, right? That's what we, we have to wrestle with, right? Because who's to say that little Troy shouldn't go to college instead of to the mechanics program, right? Mm -hmm. It's whole Booker T. Washington versus W.B. Du Bois, right? It's do we train them for, for college? And do we give them this opportunity because college is, you know, it is supreme? Or do we cast our buckets where we are, as Booker T. Washington would say, and say, hey, listen, 
You, what, what do you got right there before you? Are you an agricultural worker? Do that, right? Be that person. Whereas W.B. Du Bois is saying, well, no, why don't we have them aim for something a little bit more? And so it's still being argued to this day. So if I suggested this, hey, we should have some more vocational programs in schools instead of blah, blah, blah. My, 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 my. I would not get out the room because we don't know how to do something that complex. Because I would almost inherently be saying we can't all go to college. Right. But reality says we're not all going to college. And we shouldn't. There you go. So, but how do you how do you scale that one? That that's once again that's third rail. Yeah. That's so tough. When, when they so let's talk a, a little bit uh, more about beyond rhetoric, yes, like yes. the the application. I'm interested to see to get a picture of like what this looks like when you when I, I met you within like 30 seconds. You you know I just envisioned like oh you're taking kids that need a lot of support and you're like right there with them playing chess getting them engaged and enjoying yeah. life and yeah. i was like man that's that's just beautiful yeah. and um and i was i was inspired just by like your little you know elevator yeah. Yeah. pitch yeah. you know yeah. one minute yeah. thing so yeah. um give us a glimpse of what the process looks like how many people are involved mm -hmm. and like what it means for the kids and such yeah so so when we started we started a year ago so we just turned one in July, uh, which we're really excited about. And we started during the pandemic. So they would not allow us to go into the facilities. Hmm. So they said, what you have to do is you have to uh, do it virtually. And so I was the only one that had gotten my fingerprints and uh, background check and cleared that with the Department of Juvenile Services. You have to do that to access these youth. Um, and so, so I was the only person allowed to go and serve into the facilities. Since that time, Khalis was cleared, Marcellus was cleared, and we had a former student of mine, um, who's a graduate, college graduate now, a uh, young Bengali, right? She's about, you know, five foot something, about 99 pounds or something like that, right? Really petite, and I, I bring up her size to kind of, I want to give folks an understanding that you don't have to be, right, this Hulk Hogan in order to go and serve at a detention center. It's not The Wire, right? It's not Oz, <laughs> right? Okay. You're not gonna get shanked, right? <laughs> and so, um, and I think a lot of folks have, you know, some insecurities about well, who are they and can I engage, right? And so, so now we have four volunteers, and now it's five, right? With Marcellus, right, who's passed everything. So what the process is, and so, so now it's five, and our goal is this year is to increase our volunteers, of course. Now we can go into the facilities. What does that look like? Is it like, what do you guys <laughs> want to do today? Or is it you establish a program, and then you just work that program for a That's while? A great question. So the uniqueness of Beyond Rhetoric, and I've been told it's unique by the volunteer coordinator in the state of Maryland for the Department of Juvenile Services, and she called us a collective, and this is what makes us unique. What makes us unique is, as I said earlier, is I say, what are you passionate about? Can you do that for an hour? Most, you know, nonprofits, when they help out, there are others, they say, this is what we do, and this is what we're going to do, right? What we say is, what do you like doing? 
because there are 12 facilities. I'm sure there's one hour of the 176 hours a week, I don't know, 178, um, that you can be with some kids. So what I did is, like, like I told you earlier, I said, okay, well, what about chess? And they said, fine, that's great, you can do chess. And so I used online chess programs to teach and facilitate games and to play games. And how that looks and how it looked last year is there a, there's a kid in Laurel, right? Which is considered like Anne Arundel County, right? Laurel is many counties, but just for the right. sake of discussion. And then there's a kid in Garrett County, right? Which I said is the furthest county west, right? Two so for the listeners, yeah, these yeah. are two to three two, hours apart. Two to three hours apart. And so I log on. They both log on through Google Meet. I'd have a chessboard, right? Um, online chessboard. And I would teach them chess notation and specifically like reading reading the board, right? How to say, you know, G3 to E5 as opposed to, yo, put that piece over there, right? Which is what I got the first time. <laughs> like, which piece are you referring to, my friend? Um, right? The horse. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's, okay, we're going we're gonna to say horse for the first lesson. We call it, some call it a horsey. Um, I'm, I'm used to that one as well. And so then they would just online, you know, get used to that. But I, are they able to communicate through this? Like they're 100%. Oh, nice. And see each other. Even oh, since that's great. since I'm clear with DJS, so they have connection. They can see each other, and um, it's great because it it becomes you see the banter, right? You see the you know okay. So and what I do, gotta have competition, right? And shit talking. Oh, you got you've got to. And uh, so when I you know as a teacher, all I have to do is say okay, boys against the girls. And I know it's not politically correct to say that, but Soon as I say boys against the girl, it's on, right? <laughs> it's on. Up. It rouses them up. And so, um, so what I do is I say, okay, so Waxer versus Mountain View. So Waxer is the name of the facility in Laurel, um, and then Mountain View is the one in Garrett County. So the Waxer versus Mountain View. So who's gonna get? Who's gonna uh, wear the crown this week? Oh my goodness! So they get into right? it. They get into it um, for themselves and also to be able to say, right, I won. And here's the beauty of chess. You know, there's so many things about chess that are positive. But to be able to feel smart when you're in a facility mm. that is saying to you, you're dumb for making a decision. You did wrong. There's wrongness with you. Thank you. That that contradiction, that moment, God, that hour. I love that, man. That, that is... hour that I'm with them, oh my, 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 my. And seeing them make decisions, right, um, is very powerful. And so... I, that's what I did for a year. That's what I did from September 11th is when we started last year all the way through July when we had the first ever chess tournament. Yeah, that's cool. So we had a chess tournament and once again, this facility versus this facility and the individuals you're also playing for yourself. We got a grant from the ABLE Foundation for this program, for this chess tournament. And so I was able to give them, because of the grant, able to give them um, chess.com memberships oh, for a sweet. year. Able to give them um, uh, their own chess sets, right? Tournament-style chess sets. Able to give them some chess books. And I know it sounds a little corny, but you should have seen their faces when we're like, you're going to get the Bobby Fisher Teaches Chess Book. <laughs> you're going to get, right, learn how to play chess like a boss, right? 
Were there any other things? Uh, it sounds like you started out chess being this anchor. Mm-hmm. Are there other um, like avenues that you use in this program to engage the kids, or is it just basically a chess yeah. program? So I use I like to use this metaphor, but I got to change it because the metaphor is a little pejorative, and that's the Trojan horse metaphor. So at Beyond Rhetoric, we do not preach to the kids. Because remember, we're beyond the rhetoric piece. We don't say, why are you all tatted up, man? Why you got tattoos all over your face? We don't say, dude, put your pants up. No. What we do is we engage to try to create a relationship and a condition where they feel comfortable with us and feel comfortable enough to want whatever we're offering, that vibe that we're offering, right? They're gonna want more of this chess thing, this feeling that they get when they play chess. They're gonna want more of the community, right, that we're bringing. They're gonna want more beyond rhetoric, right? They're gonna want more. So the Trojan horse really is the chess game. What we really want is to build relationships so that when these kids exit, they feel a sense of worth. Right, there's a, uh, a African proverb that most people know. It's been used and used and used, right? It takes a village to raise a child. Oh, I think I know. Right? I saw it on your site, yeah. Yes. Yeah. But the African proverb that motivates Beyond Rhetoric <clears throat> is another one that's similar. And it says, if a child does not feel embraced by the community, he'll burn it down to feel its warmth. Yeah, that was... Start. I, I love that. When I went to just check, you sent me a link, like you know, because we need a yeah. photo and a bio and stuff for these mm-hmm. podcasts. Mm-hmm. And that was on early on in the home page, mm-hmm. and I read it, and I'm like, that is perfect. And that is really what we're trying to create, right? That they feel the embrace without us coming and go. You guys are awesome. You're worth something. Just say it. I believe I can achieve. No. That doesn't resonate with it a 15-year-old. Re- uh. But the fact, the sheer, the dint of my energy that I'm putting in to them at that moment, they don't smile at first. But you better believe they start smiling. They start asking questions. right? They start noticing if you got your hair cut. Right? Um, they're not happy when I say, you know what, this week I can't, I can't do it. One of my sons is into acting, so he's been doing like some, you know, some commercial spots and things like that. And um, pulling the, you away. You said what? Is it pulling you it, away? No, it, there was this one time where I brought all my stuff because I was going to do it. It was virtual, oh, right. so I was going to do it right there. And the location did not, you know, did not allow for it. So I had to send a message. Hey, guys, I'm really sorry, but today is not going to. You know, I just checked with the guy. Blah blah blah. Um, and they were disappointed. But that is, to me, productive. The fact that they're disappointed with chess. I mean, come on, man. Yeah, yeah, really. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you're disappointed that you're not going to play a game of chess, right? Yeah. But it's more than that. It's the relationship, right? It's the fact that I've invested and I believe in them. So here's, here was a comment that was made um, after the chess tournament. The chess tournament ended. One guy won... Great, you know, great game. It it was a very quick game. And the loser, the guy who lost, said, I shouldn't call him a loser, but, you know, the guy who lost, said, um, when are we doing this again? 
Right. That was his first comment. When wants, are we doing this again? He wants redemption. He wants redemption. <laughs> but here's he went even further, and he said this. He said, when are we going to do the chess thing on, uh, again? So what he wanted to know is when were we going to practice because he wanted that redemption, but he knew in order to beat this guy, you need to spend a lot more time on this chessboard, right? And sometimes it takes that loss. They say losing in chess, yeah, yeah. losing is learning. It takes that to fully understand. You know, a lot of our youth are challenged, you know, they're impetuous, right? They're impatient, right? Many adults are. But at that age, many of them are in there not for their patience, right? But for their impatience, right? Wanting something, immediate gratification. So I would teach the youth and they'd be like, you know, when I'd say, um, okay, so first we're going to learn a couple strategies. We're going to learn what a fork is, right? We're going to learn about skewering today. And we're going to learn this, this, this special move called en passant. And then we're going to play. And immediately there was this one youth who would always say, female youth, her face is burned in my head. Come on, man, when we gonna play? We gotta play. And I would say, listen, okay, before you play, you've gotta learn because if you don't learn, come on, man. <laughs> you know, like, all right, here's the deal. So I switched it up. I'm gonna let her get beat a few times for her to understand and start wanting a gotcha. little bit, right? And so that was one of the things that we had to do because. Um, so we do a little bit of teaching, we do a little bit, and this is all virtual. Now, this year, we're going to be going into the facilities. So wonderful donations we, we got uh, this year. Um, I put out back in September, hey, we need chess boards. People just sent them in. Yeah, oh, and goodness. for the listeners out there that are inspired by this, um, we will link in the show notes so mm -hmm. that you could make a contribution to Beyond Rhetoric. Yes. Um, the Mindful Movement will be doing that. And if you want to chip in with us, we'd be grateful. I'm sure you'd yes, be grateful. Absolutely. I'm grateful that people like you exist, man. I love to hear this. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate and, it. And I think it's, uh, it kind of gives me hope that, you know, it's just, you know, things, because sometimes I get caught up personally with like this sense of, there's just so much suffering in the world Man, yeah. and the way we treat each other, ourselves, and their environment. I'm like, man, the end is near. Yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah, sometimes yeah. I'm like, I feel the same way. If this happens, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. like, I'll say to Sarah, like, if this happens, if this turns out this way, yeah. I don't want to be here anyway. Yeah, yeah, like, I don't want to exactly. live on a planet exactly. where that can happen. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, so, um, and you know, I, I'll get in, you know, moments of like despair almost. Yeah, and it's like, when yeah. I hear this, I'm like, oh, I have to remember, like, yeah. there's a lot of good in the world, mm -hmm. a lot of good people doing a lot of good things. I kind of want to shift gears a little bit. Okay, but let me, let me, okay. let me push you sure. a little bit on this, on this topic because it's very important what you just shared. One of the things you shared about the whole despair piece. And remember I was telling you that, you know, part of me was like, this is not you. Like, why are you binge watching television and doing all this stuff? Watching television is fine, right? Um, but... Mental health wise, the you the endorphins <laughs> that are released from the service that you do is to me just unmatched. It's unspeakable. Way I feel when I'm done with a chess game, right? But here's the other thing, you know, because this answers your question that I didn't fully answer. We don't just do chess. Khalis, the guy I was telling you about, right, works for Amazon Web Services. He does a coding program with the kids. You should see the kids getting up at 8.30 in the morning, 9.30, right? They log on at 9 uh, or 9.30 with a little cereal in their hand, 
sitting there eating cereal, learning how to build websites hmm. through Amazon Web Services because Khalees is fired up and geeked out about computer programming, right? In the in the fall or in, in October, um, Marcellus is going to be starting what he calls a Dear Basketball as a tribute to Kobe Bryant, which his Trojan horse is going to be basketball, but it's life skills, right? right? Khalees wants these kids to learn how to build these websites, but he really wants to give them a vision for this other avenue and path, right? Computer te technology, oh my goodness. He's like, man, do you realize the resources that are out there for these kids, right? STEM, right, scholarships. They're like begging, please, we want African-American and Hispanic youth. STEM scholarships, right? Um, Is that the majority of the facilities, like... When you say African American and Hispanic use, is it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, what percentage do you think? What are we talking about? Yeah. So, in the state of Maryland, African American youth comprise about what thirty-two percent of youth. Okay. Seventy-seven percent. Oh wow. In detention, right? So Hispanic youth, I think the the proportion is a little less, right? Um, in terms of how much they're in in relation to um, white youth, you know, they're about, I believe, 41% of the population, um, but yet they are not even at 41% capacity in terms of their uh, attendance, I should say, in detention center. So yes, in terms of disproportionate it's representation, disproportionate. black folks for the most part. So you, you started to allude to it a moment ago, but... I want to put you on the spot a little bit because mm -hmm. I'm intrigued. Like, I know, I mean, we talk a lot about on the channel and through our meditations, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the value of practicing gratitude and forgiveness. These things that just like by thinking about certain things and changing like the framework or just not changing but spending time like on those ideas that you feel differently mm -hmm. like you were in this space where obviously something was missing in your life mm -hmm. and like what you mentioned like the endorphins you feel in the moment but like what has this done for you coming in this place where you felt like you didn't know who you were lost mm -hmm. a little bit something didn't feel right something's missing yeah like Everybody has felt at some point, like when you give a gift to somebody, right, it's right. not just helping them. Like right, you do, right. there's selfish reasons, like yeah, which yeah, is okay. Yeah, yeah. It's part of like self love right, and right. self care. Like, what what has it done for you going through this journey? Right. So what it's done for me is it's, it's helped me fulfill, and I'm, I'm gonna give you a spiritual response too. It's helped me fulfill what I feel like is my potential. <clears throat> I'm really big less on potential, right? Uh, back in the you know in the in the in the earlier days of my life, I was a Christian and even a minister for a point. Oh really? Yeah, I did a five year stint as a minister in New York City, and reading the Bible, I read the Bible like you know it's, it's a holy out of the holy texts, you know the Bhagavad Gita, the Quran, or whatever. Um, I read the, the the Bible five times through. Each year I was a minister, I would read it. 
there's a scripture that really stuck out to me. And right now I don't identify as anything, right, religiously. A couple of scriptures stood out to me, though, that still, you know, orbit my actions and what I do. Um, one of them is a, a parable of the talents. I don't know if you're familiar with it. So the king, God, right? You know, it's a parable. So it's, you know, they say an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Gotcha. Okay. This parable is this king goes away and he gives one guy like five talents and another. And talents are supposed to be money, but we look at them as talents. Five talents, another guy three, another guy two, whatever. And he goes, I'll be back. He comes back. The guy with like the two talents is like, yo, man, I knew you were going to come back looking for, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I just, I just buried him right here. And here you go. Here's two. And the, the, the figure, the God figure, the king there calls him a, a wicked, lazy servant. The guy that with the five talents essentially says, hey, how you doing? I knew you'd be back. And what I did is I put these five and I invested it. And here's five more. So here's 10. And then this is what he said to him. Well done, good and faithful servant. Right. I'm beyond the point of thinking that I'm going to be patted on the back or rewarded being called good. Oh, you're a good boy for doing whatever, right? And I'm beyond the fact of thinking that hell awaits me if I don't do something scripturally, right? So that's not the point of the story. But here's the point of the story for me. What I internalized is that if I have talents, it is my duty, my universal duty, to double them, to put out into the world more than what I was given. That is a fundamental philosophy that guides me and what I do. So, if I have a speaking ability, then I must speak. If I am good with teaching, then I must teach. And if I don't, then to me, it's an injustice to the universe. It's an injustice to um, humanity. And here's what I mean by that. And I, this, this concept really inspires me. I remember being in New York City, walking by this place, and I see these kids that had cerebral palsy. It was a, it was a, um, a center for kids with cerebral palsy. And they would be in their wheelchairs and they would have the, the, the palsy effect, right? right? Their bodies were just <clears throat> twisted and right challenged. And I'll never forget thinking for the first time, it was an epiphany. What if you were her and she were you? Would she do more with what you've been given than what you're doing with it? Unless... That, I don't know, you, you might call it a ghost or whatever, but that always sticks with me. That we are born with certain things and we've got to go out there and we've got to do stuff with it. Because what if the kid that stutters, right, had my voice? Would he do more with it than what I'm doing with right now, right? And so that has influenced me greatly Another thing this influenced me and motivated me in this whole concept of potential is I'll never forget when I went to the Philippines, right? Um, back in like 1994. Is I was, this military time? Or no, the just, military was between 87 and 91. 
this was when I was doing the ministry. And I was in the Philippines for like a few days. And I get into the cab with a friend um, and we're traveling. And the, the guy said, he said, he said, hey, how you doing? He's trying to talk, right? The cab driver, okay. And he puts down the visor of the passenger side seat. And he said, we got some girls for you. And I'm like, huh? Got some girls for you, man. And then we realize what he's doing. He's trying to sell right. sex. But Les, if I tell you these girls are like seven or eight, buddy. Ooh. And the rage that I felt at that moment. Oh, it's disturbing. But there was nothing I can do about it except like get mad at the guy yelling him or whatever. And he just put his visor up and wait for the next, you know, um, pedophile that, um, oh you know, client or whatever. So here was a reflection point. And this has guided me tremendously in my life, in my journey. That little girl could have been you. Why were you not that little girl? You didn't decide to be born to Alan and Anita Grant in Detroit, Michigan, grew up in New Haven, Connecticut. You didn't decide that. She didn't decide to be born to her parents. So if you've been given, right, these things, my brother died in prison. Alan Francis Grant Jr., right, year and a half older than me, my only brother, died in prison. Um, in in Jacksonville, Florida, uh, or in Florida State Penitentiary, um, and he was in for a good bid because he was doing a bunch of you know selling drugs and but he died of complications of HIV. And many times I ask myself, why didn't you do the things that he did, and he do the things that you? I don't know. Spiritually speaking, I cannot answer that, and no one has been able to give me a sufficient answer. There's no religious text that can answer the why not you. You know, I've heard there, but for the grace of God, go I. I've heard that many times. But nothing answers why I wasn't the kid who grew up in Baltimore, who had a mom that was struggling and on drugs, who had a dad that left, and who stayed at home by himself, who was molested by, you know, a caregiver, quote-unquote caregiver, right? right? And who ended up doing that to someone else, who ends up in detention. I wasn't born in that situation. So, Les, I really, what motivates me is the feeling that since I wasn't, what I do have, I need to share for as long as I can share it. So what I get, to answer your question, is a satisfaction that I'm doing those things, that I'm doing right by the universe. I'm doing right by the situation that I was born into. You know, I'll tell you an intimate story. Um, I don't think I've ever shared this publicly, but, um, and I don't mind, I, you know. No, I, man, I, this know, is a I, place. You know, <clears throat> Our audience eats this kind of stuff yeah, up. Yeah, 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 horrible, yeah. man. Yeah. So <laughs> when I was around 11 years old, I um, was hanging with a group of friends and we went to sleep over at this guy's house, right? I won't say his name because I don't, you know, I don't want to be sued. But anyway, so this guy's house, he was, you know, a peer. We're all playing games, whatever. And then so we're, we're sleeping at his uncle's house. We had to do a sleepover at his uncle's house. So they had tight quarters. It was an apartment. And they were like, who, we're going to sleep. Probably about six or seven of us. Where are you going to sleep? 
oh, he's going to sleep on the couch. He's going to sleep here. You got to sleep on the floor, man. And it was said, Troy, you sleep with, with the uncle, right? And I didn't think anything of it, man. I was come on, I'm 11 years old. I slept with my brother for many years, right? You know, who thinks about that kind of thing, right. right? So I'm in the bed with the uncle. And in the middle of the night, his hand comes around and he starts fondling me. So what do I do? I get up. I get out of the bed. I go into the kid, you know, whose name, once again, I won't say. And I say, hey, dude. You need to go and sleep in, in, in the bed with your uncle. I'm, I'm not sleeping in there. Check it out. A day later, I told everybody, my friends, and then I brought this posse of 11-year-olds, right, to confront the guy. And I was like, you touched me last night. Why'd you touch me? And he was like, what are you talking about, man? I said, you touched me. Man, when people sleep, I said, people's hands don't do that, Right? You can do all kind of weird things. Your hand went specifically to my private area, man. What's the deal? Oh, man, blah, blah, blah. And I had little other kids like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I felt like I was in a Spike Lee movie or something like that. Yeah, go ahead, blah, 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 right? So here's a question I asked myself years later. Why, what is in you to make you confident enough, one, to leave the bed, two, mm. confront an adult at age 11? Yeah, that's a good point. So when I, in meditation, when I ask myself, who are you and what do you want? That who are you part, less a lot of kids wouldn't have done that. Yeah, that's a good point. A lot of kids wouldn't at 11 years old in that situation. And then let's play it out. If they didn't do it and they were the victim, right, of molestation, let's look at, you know, we know the history, we know the Alters statistics. Alters the whole course. What would have happened? Absolutely. You know, that makes me think about the flip side. Like you, I agree 100%. Like I think everybody has a gift and I agree with you. Like it's, it's a responsibility mm -hmm. on some level to not just yourself, but to like everyone in your life and really for the universe, you say, mm -hmm. to give that gift away in some capacity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously you, you identify that you have a, a certain tool set, a certain set of gifts, right. and you, it's beautiful. You have this willingness mm -hmm. to act on it and mm -hmm. not just think about it. But I'm also thinking about these kids and I'm like, how many of these kids that Beyond Rhetoric reaches are going to, because of this, recognize they have a gift one day? Right. And then give that gift away, and it's gonna come back to like what they saw because of people like right. you and seeing you act instead of mm -hmm. just talk, and right. like that's beautiful, and, man. And, that, and that's the goal. So one of the victories of this year. So we did a full year, and as I share with you, we're, we're a year old now in a couple months. Um, but the Department of Juvenile Services approached us, and they said. We'd like you not only to go into the facilities, we'd also like you to help with transition services. Oh, nice. And we were like, yes. Because the downside of um, what we were able to do is that we were limited. We couldn't ask the kids what they did, right? Why, why are you in here? Couldn't ask them that. We couldn't ask them personal information. Like, what's your name? Full name. They didn't give us their first name or whatever. 
Um, we'd have to call them like youth less, hmm. youth J, that oh, kind of deal, great. right? So, um, but beyond that, as I shared with you earlier, there could be a kid that I'm playing chess with. We're, we're vibing, we're vibing. He's liking it. You finally see him smile, and that was what you know. And now I'll share with you some 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 accolades we received from the you know the uh, facilities that we visited. Our kids are coming. They're opening up more. They're smiling more. They're more confident. They're more engaged. Those are the things that we're hearing because, right, we're engaged with them, right? But sometimes we'd be playing, get a kid, open up, blah, blah, blah. I'm leaving tomorrow. Dang. So in my mind, good job. But there's a sense of me, it's like, what's going to happen This is going to get lost or something. What's going to happen? Yes. Oh, man, I wish that I can. But what that's going to take is that's going to take me more resources, Right. right? Uh, we've got to raise more volunteers. We've got to um, um, really engage with this transition piece. So now at DJS, they're working with us with the transitional services because we're spending time. What better resource than to go, oh, you want to talk, you're upset and you want to punch somebody in the face or you're think you're struggling right now and you're thinking, yo, I, you know, I just got an offer to sell some drugs and I'm struggling with this with this idea. And if I just do it twice, if I do it two times, I can make some money to be able to. Who's better to call, Troy or somebody you don't know? Me. I've been working with you for the last few months. Right. And they have so, trust. And, exactly. So, yeah, that integration has got to be so important. Yes. You could do all this magic there, but yes. like if they walk back into the same environment that kind right. of sent them that way. Big time. So that's inspiring to hear that mm-hmm. it's growing in that direction. Yeah. So that is what... We want, and not only that, but we need to do it as a business. You know, when you think of the whole business model, right. we need to do it in order to really get our grantors to to give funds. They need to see numbers. Okay. They're not, a, you know, they're not as inspired by the, you know, you know, the anecdotes, right? right? They want quantitative, not qualitative research. They want us to be able to say this number of kids are habituating or not habituating. This number of kids are. Um, graduating from high school as a result of because they're, you know, interacting with Beyond Rhetoric or their grades went up by this amount because they're, you know, interacting with Beyond Rhetoric. And right now, being the young organization that we do, we have zero staff members. So everything I'm talking about is all volunteer. Everything. Everybody that's spent time with the youth, all volunteer. Well, let's see if we could help you out a little bit. Um, For the listeners out there, I mean, I know a lot of people walk around compelled to help and mm-hmm. don't know how and maybe they don't have the tool set or the ability or the mm-hmm. time to take the action you do but some people you know can help with their wallet yeah, so come we'll on, ask man. the listeners that if yeah. you are inspired by what you hear from Troy today um, you know we ask you to help out yes. so we'll put a link there and maybe yes, we can time. help this cause and let's stay in touch yes um, I want to thank you for taking the time, doing yes, an in-person uh, chat. I really yes. enjoyed talking to you. And like I said, I'm grateful that you're here and people like you are out there making the world a better place. And, well, I um, appreciate it. You know, there's, there's, I am grateful because of what you do. Like the vibe, right? The fact that you're, it's mindful, right? So I, I don't know if I told you this. I think I did, but the paint color on my wall is mindful gray. Like it really is mindful gray. Um, but mindfulness in the eightfold path is right. something that 
I lean more towards now. And when I sit in a steam room or a sauna, when I'm taking the time, right, to think about who I am and what I want and how I engage with the world, um, and I look at your YouTube channel, and I'm like, this is powerful. What you and your wife are doing It's mostly is my wife. Powerful. <laughs> it, well, yeah. Well, it is very The listeners powerful. know who's boss. They, they know who's boss. Um, and so I appreciate the fact that this, that you would in your mode invite me on right because um i'm i'm glad we connected on that level because you know i really appreciate i really respect what you do and once again the vibe that i see coming from the mindful movement is just it's just a powerful vibe oh thanks and so for that. thanks for me being on that wavelength with you i i'm, I'm really grateful no, i appreciate it. i'm excited to be able to connect with people that that are on that wavelength, that resonate with what we do, and I definitely resonate with what you do. So, um, like I said, the Mindful Movement would be honored to yeah. make a contribution. And for yeah. the listeners out there, we'll ask you to help out. And also, just thank you for um, tuning in today. Always grateful for the listening. And if you have any questions, um, we'll put some links to Beyond Rhetoric so you could check out more information. If you have any questions about this, uh, this chat, leave them in the comments. And uh, if I can't answer them, I'll reach out to Troy to answer any of your questions. Big time. So thanks again for listening. Thank you. And thanks for the chat today. Thanks Troy. for having me. Big All man. right, everybody. Have a great day and stick around for the next one. All right. Thanks again for tuning in. I hope you got some value out of that conversation. I know I did. Troy seems like a special person and I'm glad that he's in my life now. And I look forward to reaching out to him in the future to get updates of how this process that he's jumped into is going. And I'm also looking for more opportunities of maybe how the mindful movement could help in that journey. Um, hmm, what else do I want to say? If you are enjoying these podcasts, please let me know. Some of you are putting some reviews in. I really appreciate the feedback. If you have comments about this conversation, then leave it your remarks in the comment section. I'll do our best to get back to you. And if you feel inspired to send a donation to Beyond Rhetoric, please do just sending a few bucks. You might be amazed how good that feels. It's important, I think, in this day and age to, to support the people you want to support. Um, and I know that's hard for some folks. And of course, if you can't afford to do that, then please don't do that. You know, I think that is a disservice on some level to the world when you're giving away things you don't really have to give away. So make sure you're taking care of yourself. But if you have a little extra cash, and you feel like you want to, you, you feel inspired to find a good home for it, you know, whether it's uh, Beyond Rhetoric, whether it's the Mindful Movement, other creators that are providing value to your life as you dance your journey, anything that kind of helps you live, whatever content is your medicine, support those folks. There's hard work behind the scenes there and a lot of passion. And I think it's important that we support each other. So. Um, of course, if you can't, then don't. But if you can, then do. And be grateful that you have the choice to. Thanks again for tuning in today. And if there's any topics you want in the future, then let me know and I'll see what I can do. Have a great day.